Hardcore Hunting listeners, it's just you got Jade with us this week, and we have another guest with us, CERN. Thanks for joining us. How's it going, CERN? Well, pretty darn well. Good Sunday. Great Mother's Day so far. I'm just very happy to be a honey today. <laughs> you're, actually, you're a hunk. We have the honeys, and then we have the hunks. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, we'll be a hunk, too. Why not? Yeah, you're you can thank Ryan for that later. He uh, he coined that when he was on a few weeks back. And it's and it's stuck since then. It's that. sticky. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I personally am a fan with it. So I am too. We can have a hunks and honeys battle later on once we get another honey. Which once again, shout out to any um, honey listeners that uh, have knowledge about NBA basketball. We're always looking for a new person to join in. So. Uh, just message us, and we'll try to get back to you with that. But uh, now let's just swing in. So this week we're talking about episodes five and six of The Last Dance. Um, so Jade, how many times did you watch this ep- these two episodes? Twice again. Twice again? Yeah. Um, CERN, wait, uh, how many times did you watch it? Just once. Just on just Sunday once. night. You saw the Sunday night? Well, Jade has to wait for her Monday night Netflix premieres. No, Monday morning, like, it's there first thing when I get up in the morning. Fortunately, I don't have to wait all day. Which, honestly, I wish they went to Netflix in the U.S. Because, I mean, luckily right now I have access to ESPN, but I usually don't. So I would like that to end up back there. But Hopefully they'll put them all there after everything's done airing the first time. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping, because since it is a Netflix, you should be dumb not to put it on Netflix once it's all done. Well, I mean, it's ESPN, too, right? So they might want to keep the rights in the States. That might be part of the deal. Maybe. I hope not, because I'd like to. I like going back and rewatching documentaries, basketball yeah. documentaries. OK, so first thing I want to jump into with it was um, just the like right away. It was the Kobe Bryant little segment of it all how it was about the first all-star game with kobe and jordan at madison square garden in 98 um jade how how meaningful do you think it was to have the segment for kobe right away and it not really having to do much with either episode yeah i think it was important that they did it that way considering everything that was rough too like when when he came on i was like oh man (laughs) like i felt it yeah um but yeah it was nice that it was just i mean because i mean kobe's life and and career hasn't been without controversy either but it was nice to focus on their relationship especially knowing what they got into with regards to jordan's life later on in those episodes i think it was good to have that moment of just acknowledgement of that relationship yeah that's because i mean uh uh, jordan considered himself the big bro to kobe bryant so uh certain what did you how did what did you take away from that uh first part with kobe seeing kobe on my tv was actually like a reminder that he's no longer with us it's like Throughout quarantine life, I kind of forgot that, oh, shit, Kobe Bryant died in the end of January. And, yeah. you know, I just kind of took it for granted that he was was gone. I was like, oh, this is sad. Yeah, we're really opening episode five up, really hitting the gut here, hitting the feels. And it's like, yep, now I got to think about Kobe being dead now, along with <laughs> not being able to do anything. Great. But it's stuck in the I knew... I knew it was coming. We we all knew Kobe was involved in this somewhere. And, you know, it's okay to lead out with it. I think we all kind of have an understanding that a lot of Kobe Bryant, what he was able to achieve as a basketball player, a good portion of that, he, he'll, he says it himself, is taken from Michael Jordan. He wanted to be Michael Jordan. And when I was growing up, like in the mid um, – 90s into the 2000s, Kobe was Jordan. There, there was a pretty seamless transition from Michael Jordan to Kobe Bryant, and 
Kobe Bryant's game was pretty darn similar, I would think. I mean, at least just watching it, the way he approached it, his his body structure and the way he played was Jordan-like. So Jordan wasn't was gone, but very quickly Kobe Bryant stepped in and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm that guy now, like very, very quickly. Yeah, mm-hmm. to CERN's point, if you ever look up um, Kobe, Google Kobe and Jordan together, there are several side-by-side pictures of them in games that are freakily similar. And not just like the posture, but the facial expressions, like everything about them is almost mirror image. And not just once or twice, like lots of times. So we call that Mamba mentality. What would it be called for Jordan? Just Jordan mentality? Uh, Jordan mentality, like to equate it to Mamba mentality was, it didn't have a cool name. It was just... I'm going to kill you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I don't have to be a snake. I'm no. just Michael Jordan. No, I'm, going I'm to not going to be subtle. I'm not going to come up from yeah. behind. I'm going to tell you I'm going to beat the shit out of you, and then I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to tell you I just did it. That was Michael Jordan. <laughs> it's funny, too, because I feel like Kobe's – we have kind of an affectionate nickname, Mamba Mentality with Kobe, because we got to see more joy – especially as he was finishing up his career and moving out of basketball than I think we saw with Jordan. So, like, I I think that that nickname, um, or I should say Jordan's lack of kind of a specific nickname, I think speaks to that a little bit. Yeah. That that was a real, like, 90s thing. People weren't really, I feel like, marketing catchphrases. I could be dead wrong on that as I'm saying it right now. But Jordan didn't really pander to stuff like that. He was just uber confident and knew it and knew he had everybody every single time he walked on the court. And watching Kobe play, you could see he had that too, that he knew he was better than everybody. He knew push came to shove. If he has the ball in his hands, he's like 99% going to make the right play and dominate you. And Jordan had that too, and I think that's I think Jordan actually saw that in Kobe when you know the, the few years that he played with them. He's like, oh, this guy, this guy has that that it. I know what that it is. I have that it. This Kobe Bryant guy over the Barkleys, the David Robinsons, um, Sean Kemp's, Gary Payton, Carmelo's. Like this guy has another gear more than these guys. I think he's I think he knew that real quick. Game recognizes game. Yep. And just going back to that all-star game. So at Madison Square Garden, where that they were saying, mentioning the documentary of uh, Jordan, that was his favorite place. So he breaks out the Air Jordan 1s, bloody feet at it. When you look at that, when you look at those shoes, there's a reason why they would be considered like street dress shoes instead of basketball shoes. Would you well, agree now, with that, Jade? Yeah. yeah, nowadays for sure. But at the time when those came out, those were, that was it, right? And he mentioned how far technology in shoes had come after that experience. I'm sure he would have never thought about it if he had never played in those original shoes again. Oh, but yeah. also, I have to take a moment to say that those shoes were fly as hell. Those are, of all my, all the Jordans, the first pair will always be my favorite. Yeah, my roommate said that, too. He loves, he loves the, that shoe. Um, which, so, uh, Cern, what did you think about when Jordan said he originally wanted to be with Adidas, the Nike? That was a, a detail I never knew about. Um, I think most people watching The Last Dance have several stories and anecdotes and details that they'd known about the Jordan teams throughout the years. But the best part for me, anyway, is like finding out the little details that like, I had no idea about. I had no idea that he wanted to be an Adidas guy and that he didn't want to give Nike the time of day, but that it was mother forced him. Like, no, you're going to go see these Nike guys and you're going to listen to what they have to say. You don't got to take it. But just go listen. And, you know, one of the best moves Michael Jordan ever made was being a Nike guy because he made around or he already surpassed like a billion dollars because of it. Mm-hmm. Good move. Pretty good move. 
And his dad was the one that was like, you're an idiot if you don't take this. Right. I, what I, the other oh, yeah. amazing part yeah, about his it. His manager was just ahead of the game. His manager was seven years ahead of the game with it all. Um, and the other thing, at the same time, Nike was also starting to work with uh, Spike Lee. Uh, at first, Jade, was it the appeal of Jordan that was getting people or the appeal of Spike Lee was the director and was also featured with Michael Jordan? Because he, at that time, one of the biggest directors. So do you yeah. think, was it I, Jordan or Spike? Spike Lee was huge, but it was still Jordan. It was Jordan still. the Like, uh, without, without the transcendence of Jordan's game, it doesn't matter who produces his ads or who directs them or who writes. Like, none of that stuff matters without his game being what it is. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, that makes... I, just, I was just curious, just because when Spike Lee's ever involved with something, it's going to blow up somehow or another, just because it's Spike Lee and his personality. Um, something I didn't know that I figured out, Nike being originally like a big tennis company. Mm-hmm. That's not something I would have thought about with it. But Yeah, they love the good racket. You know, they, they, they're big fans of tennis and Wimbledon and all other tennis words. I only know like six of them. But yeah, before they really <laughs> got into basketball, it was <laughs> tennis. And that was interesting, too, because Nike changed the game for the way that basketball players are do their their um promotions and their deals like everybody's got their own thing now but without nike kind of breaking the mold of you know it's a guy on a team yeah but he kind of is the team so we're gonna promote him by himself Mm -hmm. right all of the individual um brands that that players have in the nba now i don't think happens without nike and jordan doing what they did because that's i was actually just about to mention since nba was converse and like it was any major player had a shoe with converse Mm -hmm. nowadays you can people can have a shoe with adidas nike and now even because of steph curry under armor is now a big thing with the nba new balance yep new (laughs) who saw that coming (laughs) dads that mowed the lawn You think they saw it coming? With cargo shorts, they're like, yeah, we're just going to be cool next. Because they're the cool dads. Oh, jeez. But then then we talk about going into the Bulls going back for their back-to-back finals in 92 against the Blazers. Um, Cern, how did you like that the NBA at the time was trying to say that uh, Clyde was equal to Jordan? Clyde Drexler. Well, Clyde was a fantastic basketball player. He was awesome. I mean, if you go back and look at the, the watch the games from that series and go look at the box scores, Clyde Drexler played pretty well. He just didn't play as well as Michael Jordan, and Clyde Drexler is just one of the many guys in line of guys that Michael Jordan eventually flexed all over. But Clyde played well, just not as well as Michael Jordan in, the, in that series. But yeah, the media wanted to make Drexler's um, into a real deal guy. Here he was, but they, the game, their, their games were similar, but Jordan was just much better at that game. Yep. Uh, and then Jade, would you consider this Blazers team probably one of the weaker teams that Jordan's Bulls had played through the finals? Definitely. Like, I mean, I I still feel like the, the Bulls generally had a harder time getting out of the Eastern Conference than mm-hmm. they had in the finals, just generally. Like, when I think of I, when I think of Jordan's epic series, is, it's not generally finals I'm thinking of. I'm usually thinking of Eastern Conference finals. So, yep. yeah, the fact that it, the, it, I don't know. I know that the finals is the thing, but it's almost like a non-issue. You knew if they got out of the East most years, I mean, they were that they were going to win. Well, yeah, it was like when they would play the bad boy Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals, it was like how nowadays where it was Houston, Golden State, where we were like, actually, this is the real finals. They just so happened to be in the same conference. Right. And then they got to the actual finals. It's like, yeah, this is whoever won this series was going to win the NBA finals. So, exactly. uh, but then so 
he's get the, he gets the three point shot shrugs. He's get thirty five points in the first half. Takes over the entire series, and then Jerry Krause, same comment he has every single title. It's organization. Great organization. I'm player. so proud of the organization. Is he taking the team's success or like the blow up of Jordan everything too personally, CERN? Or is he just is he saying some truths? Well, no team wins a championship without having a decent organization around them. Um Kraus, he was really smart. Uh, he, he brought in these guys. He traded for Scottie Pippen, all right? He brought in Horace Grant. I mean, he drafted uh, Jordan, okay? He brought in Rodman when a lot of teams didn't want to bring in Rodman. So this guy wasn't an idiot. He just looks like one. He probably <laughs> smells like one, too. But the problem, Krause had the little man complex. You know, and being a fellow short guy, I know other short guys that do. I don't. But this guy certainly did, and he just really wanted to be liked. He just had no idea how to do it. Like, he's the guy in high, like, in high school, like, outside of your friend group that, like, hangs around once in a while, and then every time he hangs out with your group, he reminds you why he's not part of the main friend group. Because he's <laughs> annoying as fuck. He's just, like, he's awful to have around. <laughs> Jerry Krause just always did something to piss everybody off, and it's like... We're not going to have this guy around. He ruins our fun. But Krause just, you know, happened to be the GM of one of the greatest dynasties in sports. And he just couldn't deal with the fact that the media wasn't salivating over him. It was Jordan and Pippen, okay? It was, it was Phil Jackson and the rest of the guys. It wasn't like, hey, what about the guy who put it together? Well, we don't care about you. You're, yeah. you're not interesting. We care about the court and the guys playing the game. It doesn't help that he's not the most charismatic guy either. Well, yeah, I, I think there's a little more to it, too, though, because, like, when I think of other great organizations, the players are bought in and they're willing to be like, yeah, the organization's amazing, too. So, like, I kind of feel like there's a level where it wasn't as great as Krause thought it was because of the fact that he kept harping on it so much. And if the players felt like they weren't getting that that he was taking away t- too much credit from them then that's a little bit of an organizational problem. Because one thing I always had an issue with as I've watched this series is Jerry Krause, he already has everything, but then he sees something shiny, and then he wants it. And then he salivates over it, and he kind of forgets about what he already has. What he already has. Which that, I mean, which the biggest example is in the 92 Olympics with Tony Kukoc and Team Croatia, Kraus was drooling over him. And Jordan and Pippen are like, hey, Dad, we're still here. So, Jade, when Kukoc had the first encounter with Team USA, was that a fair encounter for first first time meeting? I mean, Kukoc did nothing wrong. No, it was... It wasn't fair to anyone. I don't think it was fair to anyone. I think um, Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan had some good points in that we didn't appreciate the way that he was introduced to us. But I disagree with the way they handled it because, like you said, Tony Kukoc had done nothing wrong. He had no idea what the internal politics were going on. Mm-hmm. He was dealing with the war in Croatia. Right. Like he had, And he had grown up with that. So... Um, that that was definitely definitely mishandled by Jerry Krause and and it's not even that he was wrong about Tony Kukoc we know he was right he's a fantastic basketball player but like you said he's looking ahead in a way that yes you want your general manager looking ahead that's that's their job but he was doing it at the expense of the feelings of the people who are already there and considering what they had done, they definitely deserved, I think, more consideration than they got in that situation. Okay. I um, think, go on, sir. I feel like Jerry Krause, if he were be pulling these moves off today, he might be thought of differently because it's very Belichickian 
of him of what he was doing in the 90s, trying to wanting to get rid of guys two to three years earlier than what everybody else thought. So Kraus might have been a genius, actually, of being like, hey, I know we're winning titles here, but the smart move is to look down the road. But like Jade said, I don't think he he could he couldn't read the room, you know. Yeah. So he do he do these things and then like wonder why why does Jordan and Pippen why don't they they like me is it because I I'm scouting guys in Croatia named Tony Kukoc and I want to bring these guys in is it because I think Dan Marley I think the world of Dan Marley and then Jordan goes and murders him in the '93 Finals yeah he doesn't know how to read the room he can't like he he can't just soothe the brains of his players because he just literally. He doesn't have that club in his back. He doesn't know how to do it. So and he, just he didn't very- learn. He didn't learn from those missteps because, like you mentioned, he did it more than once. So he never – he doesn't have – he's missing a big piece of self-awareness in terms of how you lead and how you manage people. Yes, Exactly. Well- well, a lot of that, I think, might have been – that's just how sports was then. Now, the, the best players kind of run the show, and all moves sort of go through them. And if it doesn't go through them, then you know there's a major rift. Like, the Packers draft Jordan Love. You would think they would have went to Rodgers and be like, okay, what do you think we should be doing here um, You know, to really help us out? And they, didn't, they clearly didn't do that because it seems like there's definitely a rift between Aaron Rodgers and management. Same thing back then with Jerry Krause and the Bulls. He didn't really go to the Michael Jordan, the greatest player on the planet, and being like, hey, what do you think is the best move here? No, he kind of went off on his own and did it, which is fine. But today in the NBA, I don't really think that's the way it works at all. The best players dictate a lot about what's going on, and they get everybody on their side because who wants to side with management? Well, I think to that, I think to that point, there – there were people that did know how to do it. Like Phil Jackson managed everyone's personalities and made it work without him. I don't think like, I think there's a few critical ingredients that went into Jordan and the bulls being what they were. And Krause is definitely one of them, but so is Phil Jackson. He was always able to manage everybody personally. Right. So I, I, I think it was just, it's a hole. It's a hole in Jerry Krause's knowledge that he just, is over his head. I compare him to kind of like what Danny Ainge has been doing over the past few years where it's like, Oh, I have a really great player. Oh, but there's another great player available. I'll trade that great player for that great player. Oh wait, there's another great opportunity. And I've only had this great player for one year. I don't care. I'm going for that great opportunity. Like if I like, I feel that would almost be kind of frustrating as a fan where it's just, Oh, you guys are already good. You're not focusing on how good you are. You're looking at another way you can be good. Like, I feel like that would be somewhat as frustrating with it because you can't build a solid community with it then since you're constantly trying to cycle through people. I don't think Krauss did it at that level, though. No, he did it. Krauss did it. That is one thing I will give him. Um but going into the 92 Dream Team, since this was a huge part for Jordan's career, um, one of the big things was Isaiah Thomas not being a part of it. Jay, do you think the team would have been any better with Isaiah Thomas? Yeah. Of course they would have been better. He was He's one of the best point guards to ever play. Was his personality going to cause issues though because everyone had an issue with him because of his correlation to the bad boys yeah i if they could get over it with rodman joining the bulls they should have been able to get over it for the olympics that's how i feel about that this was and for michael jordan saying and this was the entire team magic didn't like him larry didn't like him charles barkley didn't like him that personality on that team no one wanted him to play so if he ended up there would it have affected the play? That would have been on them if it did. They are supposed to be professionals. So is Isaiah uh, Thomas... Jay, whenever I talk about... Is Isaiah Thomas <laughs> the only professional in the NBA? Because, sir, I don't know if you've ever listened to us, but Jay has nothing to, bad to say about the bad boys ever. Even that's if not Isaiah true. Thomas blew up. That's uh, not true. Do you remember when we talked about James Dolan 
And you didn't know the stuff Isaiah Thomas had said in his sexual harassment lawsuit? Okay. Oh, so that is the one time we're going to talk about Isaiah Thomas as you pull up something that massive. Okay. I just, I just think they were all dicks on different levels. And if they're professionals, whoever picks the team, they should be able to play together. That's just, and that's how I would feel no matter who it was. But so you're telling me that you didn't trust Rod Thorne's judgment with not putting Isaiah Thomas on the team? Listen, I read Chaka's article about how his argument that Isaiah should have been on the dream team. I also read Tony's article that he shouldn't be. And I thought Chaka made some compelling arguments. Of course you did. CERN, what's your take with Isaiah not being on the dream team? He should have been on the dream team over John Stockton. <laughs> Backfire think his personality it. would have worked with it, though. What was that? Do you think the personality would have worked, though? Because that was the I biggest think, thing. I, I think they still would have beat the hell out of Croatia and all the other countries that yeah. sucked at basketball. But do you think it would have been as... Because I just think there's this definition of team with Team USA, with that dream team. Like, they just had this camaraderie. Yeah, they all liked each other and didn't like Isaiah. Do you think they would have had it with Isaiah? Because they all hated him already. Yeah, well, I think think the the idea that the whole team hated him, I I think it's overblown. Personally, I think it was more Jordan than Magic. Because Larry Bird has come out afterwards and he said, like, yeah, I would have dealt with it. I wouldn't have had a that much of a problem if Isaiah was on the team. I think it was mostly Magic and even more so Michael. I think Michael, everything, they, they needed Michael to play. Michael didn't even want to play. He did. Yeah. Was all it more important go through Jordan. What? This was, this was, was all about for Michael to play than have Thomas on the team. Yeah, it was. It was more, more important to have Jordan on the team than Thomas? 100%, yeah. Michael, Michael and Jordan. So having... So Jordan's opinion with Thomas mattered more than Isaiah Thomas's playing ability. Yes. Of course it did. Okay. Like for Michael Jordan to say, oh, I didn't say anything. It's like, come on, dude. Like he needed you to say it specifically to know that you didn't want him on the team. Everybody knew that. He, he didn't have to say it specifically. That's like a CIA operative being told on the lowdown, like, I need you to take care of that person and never actually saying to kill them. You know, what the, the implication was clear. Remember, the, the Dream Team's coach was Chuck Daly. That was Isaiah's coach. And even yeah. he couldn't get Isaiah on the team. Well, and he I, knew that what Jordan wanted was more important. Yeah. That says a lot about Daly. Well, yeah, it's Michael Jordan. <laughs> Which, how does that, how would that be for Isaiah Thomas seeing that my head coach is saying is agreeing with saying that the uh, the enemy we've had for years, I need him more than I need you. Yeah, I like when you put it well, in that you context. Feel like Isaiah Thomas like that. It's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. When you put it in that context, you can see why he's a little bitter about it still. Wouldn't well, he? yeah, he should be bitter. His coach didn't go to bat for him, or if he did, he got out flexed by Jordan and the boys. It is what yeah. it is. Like. And, like, at the end of the day, I mentioned professionalism. This is high school things. It's small and it's petty. If we're talking professionalism, then, why is Isaiah Thomas still holding the grudge? That's not professional. Why is Michael Jordan still holding the grudge over all the things? I never said anything about him. We're talking about Isaiah Thomas right now. Oh, you're allowed to bring up people. Isaiah Thomas is not holding professionalism. He is not. You cannot tell me that, then. If him still holding the grudge right now. Who said he's holding the grudge? Do you not feel some kind of way? Do you not feel some kind of way about some things that happened in your past? Yeah, and I don't think that's professional on my part, but I don't leave it. But he's leading it into his occupation. It's How? Petty. Because it was petty. It's petty on both sides. It's not more petty for Isaiah Thomas to be upset than for Jordan to keep him off well, the team. Well, okay, that's what I've been waiting for you to say is that it is still slightly petty. You're, the way you've been laying it out is Isaiah Thomas did nothing wrong. I never no. said that. I never you? said that. It's okay, all whatever. You can prove this later. Okay, whatever. So the thing I never knew about, going back to the Dream Team Olympics, the Reebok issue with Jordan. 
and then how he draped it over the flag over the logo. Like, CERN, did you know about that controversy no. at the time? No, that was one of the other cool little details that came out. That I was like, oh, I, I never knew that, that he put the flag over his right shoulder to cover up the uh, Reebok symbol. Did not know that. Makes sense to me. Like, I feel like people kind of... I feel like people kind of made a big deal about it. Like, oh, why would he do this? Because he's a Nike guy and it matters to him. It's, it's, we're talking money here. We're talking tens of millions of dollars. If he goes out there wearing Reebok, you know, it's kind of like a real mind fucking people's brains. Like, wait a minute, Jordan, Nike, Reebok shirt, heads just start exploding. <laughs> that was a genius move, too, because what's Reebok really going to say when he covered it with a flag? Like, yeah, he I mean, couldn't have done it what Anytime you can put old glory and drape yourself in old glory, I think you have to do it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> You're not going to get mad. Take that flag off your shoulder. <laughs> like, um, what? This is USA, baby. This is the flag. <laughs> but so that is like the one, one of the few times I've seen Jordan in his playing career actually do some kind of statement. Because he kind of, when it came to just getting outside of basketball, he was very passive. He wanted everyone just to be either like him or neutral. And yep. he stayed out of that limelight. Um, Jay, do you think that kind of at times made him lose respect to one, with people? Because nowadays we have players standing up for social injustices, other issues going on, while him... They just wanted him to endorse this one uh, politician, Harvey Grant, mm-hmm. and he couldn't. Harvey Gant, right? There's yeah. Republicans wearing his shoes, too. And yeah. it was just giving the endorsement, and he couldn't do that. Jade, what does that say about Michael? So I think it says a couple of things. Um, I think it feeds into the idea that he couldn't stand it if people didn't like him. And that was an automatic way that he was going to lose. He, he was going to lose. He was going to lose the admiration of some people automatically if he stood up for him. But I also think it speaks to his very upper middle class upbringing as a black man in America at the time. He didn't experience a lot of the things that his peers experienced in the different places that they grew up and the things that they had to go through. So I think there was also just less of an awareness and it, was, it wasn't it was as important to him because he didn't share experiences that this politician, Gant, would have been trying to change. So I think there's a disconnect there too. Yeah. Certain, uh, uh, would you think that Jordan would be as involved as players are today if he were playing today? Yes. Uh, he would definitely be saying a few more things compared to his nothing back then. He's like pulling a Kawhi Leonard, just keeping his mouth shut with it. Well, yeah, I, I just don't think... Go ahead. Like Jade said, politics were just kind of, it was never his bag. It was never something he was very interested in. And he knew if he did get interested in it and started talking, it was going to shift the Jordan brand one way or the other. And he just didn't want to go down that road. And you know what? Ever since he retired, he still hasn't done it. Like It's just something he doesn't care about. And I think the point that he would be more vocal now comes back to the same thing. He would get roasted now if he said nothing about certain things, right? Mm-hmm. And so he would still be, I think if he was going to be different, I still don't think it would be because he was passionate about the issues. I think it would be, again, all about his likability levels. True. Um, but when, so one question I thought to myself, like, so Jordan has everything in the palm of his hands at this point. What do you focus on then besides basketball when you have that much in your play? Because everyone wants a piece of you, Jade. What what would you try to focus like how do you focus on something? Um I don't I don't I don't know if I could answer that. That's the kind of thing that I think it's difficult to understand if you've never been in that situation. Like 
when they went through his typical day of him leaving the hotel and there's crowds and there's crowds everywhere he went and there there's crowds when he gets back like it's it's difficult for me to wrap my head around living that way and i i understand how it can become overwhelming at the same time i i don't really feel bad for him if i'm being honest well yeah Cern, do you feel bad for him? No. <laughs> but do I understand that his life at times wasn't exactly the way he drew it up because he did have to live in hotel rooms and not really do anything but lay on a couch and smoke a cigar? Yeah, that that, that seems pretty shitty. But the trade-off, you know, I'll take that. I, I suppose the trade-off was pretty good. I mean, what do you focus on to um, respond to your other question? Drinking, gambling, and maintaining the brand. That's that's what you do, and that's what he did. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> so as the 92 C, or, um, Dream Team ends, it goes right into, we go right to the 93 Bulls and Knicks. And Jade, would you think, would you say the Knicks were kind of the new bad boys of the 90s? I'm glad you asked me that because I literally thought that while I was watching it the first time. And, and I, I remember thinking like the bad boys still have this horrible reputation for how hard they played Jordan, but it looked to me like the Knicks played them just as hard. That's, it, that is very true. And I want, sir, why do you think the Knicks didn't get that bad of a moniker as Detroit did? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of why they don't get – they're not called the bad boy uh, Knicks. Probably because they never won anything, and the Pistons did. <laughs> that is – yeah, that is That's the argument. That's good. Yeah. That – yeah, wow. I didn't even <laughs> – Like, if they were to win a title, it would be cool to say, like, oh, man, those guys were tough as hell, and they knocked the shit out of people. But they never got to the finals, really, while Jordan, Jordan were there. So it's just like, yeah, good Eastern Conference team. And so he had – so Knicks were leading the entire series, Jade. Um, do you think that Atlantic City trip he had with his dad, was it that big of a deal? Or was were they making a mountain out of a molehill with it? This is how I see that. And I actually think that it's a really interesting – kind of change of pace. Jordan was happy to be put on a pedestal as high as anybody wanted to put him and praise him and love him and blah, blah, blah. And I think if you're going to accept that level of accolades, you need to accept the same level of criticism. Like, I think those just kind of go together. If you're, if you want to be that central person that everybody loves and everyone's coming to watch and the whole world is watching it's gonna it's it's two sides of the same coin. It's gonna be just as bad in the other direction. So if you're not gonna make the effort to be squeaky clean, you, you should expect that it's gonna come. Yeah. That do you um same question then with you then, sir. Do you think that they were making a mountain out of a molehill with this Atlantic City trip? I don't think it's I, I, personally I don't think it's a big deal, but I can understand why the majority of people are absolutely outraged to hear that. Wait a minute, professional athlete Michael Jordan, in between games, drives an hour and a half or whatever it was to Atlantic City and gambles all night, then comes back to play basketball in the finals or, or the Eastern Conference Finals. Whoa, that that can't happen. But these guys did that all the time. People don't understand, especially Michael Jordan. These guys are freaks. Their bodies don't respond to drinking and gambling and smoking all night like my body does, where I get absolutely <laughs> crushed for a week if I do something like that. Jordan, these guys are just built differently. They were able to do that. And guess what? He was right. And he come back and he dropped 40 or whatever the next night. I forget what, how much he scored. And yeah. These guys are just wired differently. He's able to do it. If he thought it, this was going to screw up my game, he probably wouldn't have done it. 
But like I said, gambling was an outlet for him. It was an avenue for one, he could be competitive. Two, there's money involved. And three, he can go to a casino, which is a place for sin anyway, and do what he wanted and not really have that many people bat many eyes seeing Michael Jordan gambling. You know, is it weird that it was the night before a final? Perhaps, but these guys, Jordan, they're built differently. Yeah, that's – yeah, being built differently because he – they have players like that, athlete on a whole other level with it. Um, but going with some other controversies, so we have the Jordan Rules book that comes out with Sam Smith. He's pulling the curtain back on everything, kind of showing the world that Michael Jordan is actually kind of a tool. Um, and everyone's, there's a huge issue on who outed it. Um, certain, is it that big of a deal on who who like pulled the rug on everything because Horace Grant was becoming the scapegoat. So was that fair for Horace Grant with the book situation? Well, Horace Grant was certainly one of the people involved with spilling the information on the bulls. But I think this is one of those situations where if you think about it, everybody had a hand in saying stuff about that bulls team. It wasn't just Horace Grant and like, one of the assistants, it was probably multiple players, some lower level, lower level coaches, training staff, whoever, announcers. It wasn't just one guy. It was probably like eight to 12 guys just giving bits and pieces of information. But the highest name on there, like the most clout name, surprisingly, is Horace Grant. I just thought it was funny how they had all this gloom around them with it, and it did not affect them whatsoever that just showed the the focus that that bulls team jordan wouldn't allow something like that to happen no he won't let that happen not on his watch no and definitely would not um which then so they finally beat the knicks and then they get to charles barkley and the Suns. um before that entire (laughs) series though he sits down with the mod rashad with about his gambling. Jay, do you think that was the right move for Jordan to sit down with one of the biggest uh, names in sports journalism and just break down what he was doing? I think it was probably the right move, but I think he was missing the skills of a publicist in his image and the way that he spoke and just like some coaching on how are you going to come across? Because it felt very off the cuff and I think in order for it to accomplish what he wanted it to I think it needed to be a little more practiced a little more rehearsed a little more on purpose because watching that interview the conclusion that I came to is that Jordan says no I don't have a gambling problem I think he did have a gambling problem I liken him to a functioning alcoholic Right. Just because you're not blackout drunk all the time doesn't make you not an alcoholic. And if anybody that didn't have Jordan's money was gambling at the levels that he was, they would have been destitute. They would have been homeless. So just because he had the means to gamble without losing everything to me doesn't mean he didn't have a gambling problem. Uh, sir, do you think it was do you think Jordan has a gambling problem? I think he has a gambling hobby. I don't think his if it's a problem, it never affected him in his work. But it affected him in his life, right? If you listen to him, all of the criticism was part of why he wanted to stop playing basketball, and that was his life. So it did negatively impact his life, and to me, that is the definition of a problem. Yeah, I guess. But... I, I did think it was just a good move just so everyone could stop speculating with his gambling situation, just so it would get the focus away from that and then just back to the finals. Because when they were going back to Chicago, they were down 2 nothing, And it's the same situation that was happening to them in the Eastern Conference Finals. Game three, having another huge situation, triple overtime. One thing I wrote down in my notes about when I was watching it all came to conclusion. I hate Danny Ainge as a player, <laughs> as a coach, 
as a GM, as a president. I hate him. All I had in my notes was Danny Ainge equals bitch. <laughs> Saw him get in a fight, and it made me so angry to see his little ginger head running around out there trying to pull. I had to Wikipedia him because I feel like the only way you can truly hate a person or loathe a person is to be knowledgeable about them. I am now knowledgeable about him, and I do not like him as a person. So that, that was my little cycle for it. Um, <laughs> that was intense. Yes. I that was my thing. That was that was my one big thing. But then they have Paxson winning the series. So, CERN, how often does Jordan have to get bailed out by other players? <laughs> oh. First it's Kerr, then it's Paxson, and just he can't finish. Is he the clutch player we think Jordan is? Yeah, I think he. Yeah, I think he's all that when it in terms of being a clutch player. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you're gonna find many people that say, you know what, that Michael Jordan just didn't have it when it counted. <laughs> See, and I have a little bit of a different take. Like I've seen other players broken down clutch minutes, which have a very specific criteria, and I would like to see Jordan's clutch minutes broken down by that criteria because you can have it when it counts for the rest of the series and that's just as important but I always say basketball is a team sport and I don't like teams that don't play as a team so to me it doesn't take anything away from Jordan if he is less of a clutch player by by the metrics that I've seen it described um because he still he he was irrefutably generally the guy that got the team in the position where Paxson could shoot that one basket and Steve Kirk could shoot that one basket to win everything. Yeah. I also think most of the time Jordan didn't need to be clutched because his team was already winning by 10 to 15 points. True that. Got the 2K effect, as I called that. He's got the 2K <laughs> effect. Okay, so... That was kind of what was going on with episodes five and six of The Last Dance. So now we're going to go into, CERN, I don't know if you know this, but we have this segment called Fast Break, where we have a couple quick questions. I just need yes or no and maybe a little bit of background with it, but just some quick stuff. So, Jade, since you're just a veteran with it, we'll start off with you first. Okay, final shots. Kerr and Paxson, which one was better? Ooh. I'm going to say Paxson just because I have to pick one because I, d I don't know why I'm just picking one because I think they're both pretty incredible. Okay, okay. Sir, what about you? Paxson or Kerr? Kerr. Kerr? Okay, perfect. Okay, then. then uh, Sir, we're going to go with you uh, for this next one. Since this one had to do a lot with the signing of shoes, who would have you signed with? Who would you sign with if you had a shoe? Umbro. What was it? Umbro. Umbro? I remember Umbro. I do not remember that one. No? No. Am I showing my age? My youngness? I don't... How, how old are you, sir? 33. Yeah, maybe a little bit, Taylor. <laughs> yeah, I'm showing my young age. Uh, Jade, who would you sign with? I always was. I was always partial to Puma. You were a Puma, a Puma person. Yeah. That's one that is that one kind of picking up in the NBA now. I want to say someone big signed with them. I don't know. I haven't heard anything about them in a long time. I mean, it might be just my 2K player. Anyways, <laughs> what I always try to mix up who I sign with. Um, last question for it. Uh, CERN, is Tony Kukos a Hall of Famer? No. You don't think he's a Hall of Famer? No. Not even with his international play? No. Because that goes it, into it. It's not just NBA play. It goes to international levels. Yeah, I'm aware. Still no. Still no? Jade? <laughs> Tony Kukos? Yeah, I have to agree. I have no? to agree. I mean, he was, he's, he's a, he was a great player. Hall of Fame? Nah, can't, can't give it to him. Would the Bulls would have won without him? 
Maybe not, but I don't Sorry. think that makes him Hall of Fame. Yeah, they probably they probably still win without him. They they get somebody else that's not tuning Tony Kukoc to come in there and do Tony Kukoc things. And I like Tony Kukoc. He's a six man award winner a few times. I'm actually on the verge of uh, acquiring his jersey. Uh, yeah. I've wanted it for a while, and I'm pretty sure I'm gonna pull the trigger on it very soon. I mean, might as well. It's that time. It's that time to do the impulse shopping to make someone feel happy. <laughs> I just I compare him to he was the '90s Lamar Odom. He was the Lamar Odom was a lot better than Tony Kukoc. I don't like, know. Like a lot. <laughs> you should debate know. this, Taylor, because you always debate with me. Take it, take it up with someone else. Let's hear the argument. Well, like I, I can't. I just see when I've seen the clips of Tony Kukoc, I just see a lot of the same. I should say, I shouldn't say Lamar. I should say he's like a better version of Hito Turkoglu. Is that fair? Sure. <laughs> yeah, Hito Turkulu. Yeah, I, I, I suppose we can say that their games were similar. And who would I take if I really had to take one? I don't know. Flip a coin. <laughs> okay. Well, so I got those answers all set. We got the discussions all done. Um, so so t- today is the recording is the Sunday. So we got episodes six. Or, I mean, you got seven and eight. Are you going to be watching that tonight there, CERN? Uh, yeah, as I'm watching that in Money in the Bank, switching back, yeah, I'll be watching it, Dallin, taking my oh, notes. Okay. And then, Jade, you got that tomorrow morning to watch. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, unless you guys – CERN, do you have anything to plug before we sign off today? Uh, not particularly. No, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to plug um, everybody having a good start of the week tomorrow. Let's plug that. Okay, yes, I like that. Plug in, begin of a great week. Um, happy Mother's Day to any mothers that are listening listening right now. Um, I know my parents will be listening to this, so happy Mother's Day, Mom. Thank you for everything. So, okay, well. It's been a great chat today, guys. Um, We'll see you the next episode. Bye.